You're listening to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show, a podcast that discusses the intricacies of real estate investing with your host, Marcus E. Maloney. Marcus is a real estate investor best known for being the equity king. He's been awarded that moniker because he and his team find amazing real estate deals. He will be talking with investors who have done some transformational things in the real estate industry. They'll discuss their process, their strategies, and how their investments transform their lives and the communities they invest in. We welcome you to the We Love Equity Real Estate Show. Hello, We Love Equity Real Estate family. Thank you for joining us for another show. On today's show, I have a Midwesterner. I have a wholesaler, fix and flipper, uh, all around good guy. So we're going to take a deep dive in with Mike Simmons. Mike Simmons is from the Detroit market. Um, Like I said, he's a fix and flipper that's doing tons of deals in Detroit. He's not um, a scatterbrained guy where he's trying to go shallow in a bunch of areas he's focused on that detroit market so all of my detroit people you better get on here you better listen and get some words of inspiration and knowledge and wisdom from mike simmons so mike hey man welcome to the show talk to all of our midwesterners talk to all of our people across the nation man introduce us to mike tell us who you are and what you're doing yeah, thanks for having me on. First of all, I appreciate it. I am a Midwest guy and you know, we're, we're a little different in the Midwest. I don't know. It feels like a little harder working, maybe a little bit more grounded. But yeah, man, I'm uh, born and raised in Michigan. I uh, live a little, a little north of Detroit right now. And all my all my deals are done in and around the Detroit market. So i um, been doing this for about 12 years. Um, you know, my family was uh, union mentality, automotive, you know, Michigan yep. is very heavily automotive. Uh, they worked in the automotive industry, and the goal for me was to be in a union, to be working for like Ford or GM or somebody. Like that was that was really what I think my, my parents really wanted. Um, so out of high school, I got a job working for UPS, right? Not the automotive industry, but still union. So they mm-hmm. were happy about that. Uh, working hard, uh, you know, my dad loves nothing more than to hear that I worked overtime and worked the weekends and like, he loves that stuff. (laughs) Um, I don't necessarily love it, but he did. So working at UPS, working hard, got that job when I was, I think 18 or 19. And by the time I was 24, I had to go to the chiropractor three times a week just to get out of bed. My back was so jacked up. I, I just hurt myself. I was doing everything wrong, being a 20 year old and lifting things wrong and just really hurt myself. So I had to get out of there. I couldn't do that the rest of my life, I found out. And I went, and then I actually did go in the automotive industry and started working in sales and, and some other things, sort of mid-level management stuff. Went back and got my college degree because right out of high school, I thought, I don't need a college degree. I'm working no. for the company I'm going to retire at, you know? Um, but I went back and got my degree because I knew I needed something to, to market myself. And I was on the corporate path. That's, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to rise through the ranks in the automotive industry and and that was what I was going to do. And, you know, I did all that. I got my degree, scraped, worked. I, I had a pretty good job and making pretty good money, but I was miserable. Like a lot yeah. of people, I was miserable. I mean, I just hated it. And the people I worked with were miserable. And the people older than me that were at a higher, you know, position, whatever, they were miserable. miserable. Like I, That's where I was trying to get. And they were miserable, you know, <laughs> yeah. and I saw those guys running around like crazy, working crazy hours, you know, neglecting their family and, bad health and anxiety and all this stuff. And I, I didn't want any part of that. So I started thinking about how I could invest. 
And I didn't okay. even think about real estate. I just thought investing means stocks and the stock mm -hmm. market and day trading. So that's what I started investigating, day trading and stocks and into the stock market and trying to understand that whole game. Uh, but after doing that for a few months, I was like, I hated it. I, yeah. I would always start off looking at like stocks, stock market reading and things kind of things. And I would end up on like ESPN.com. I just hated it. <laughs> I couldn't stay focused, you know, right. and I was just, I would gravitate to something that was interesting for me. But eventually when you, when you Google investing and investing for retirement and, and, and savings, you'll, you'll stumble on real estate. You'll yep. find it eventually. Absolutely. And I did, I found it. And uh, I was, I was, I fell in love. Like I couldn't get enough of it. Like unlike, unlike stocks, like I didn't want to go to the sports sites and all these other things because I was so interested in reading about real estate and I read success stories. I bought books. I went to seminars. Like I was a junkie for a while. Like I couldn't get enough of it. I was just absorbing and absorbing. Um, and the problem that I had, and this is a lot of people I think can identify with this. I wanted to do it, but I was in this like paralysis analysis. I just, I kept trying to learn more and more and I was afraid to get started. And I did that for about five years. It took me five wow. years to get wow. off my butt and stop thinking about doing something and actually do it. So, you know, people who are sitting at home or listening to this driving or whatever, and they're like, yeah, I want to do it too. I just haven't done it yet. I, I feel for you. I know what that feels like to be in that spot. And you start beating yourself up because you know you're not doing it and you want to do it and you're mm -hmm. not anything you want to do that you just you're procrastinating or putting it off or you're afraid you st start makes you feel bad about yourself and I felt bad about myself so I finally got my first deal done in 2008 so right Mike, when everything before, crashed. before yeah, yeah. we get into your first deal yeah uh, few things you said there that was very key yes midwesterners and I'm not just saying just for midwesterners but we have that mindset of you grind it out you work mm -hmm. you do whatever you have to do in order to make it happen and my dad, he was a union guy with U.S. Steel. So he was in the steel mills. And that's what he preached to us, you know, get a good job, work overtime, you know, mm -hmm. set your family up for life and you'll be OK. You know, you'll retire, you know, once you're 65, you know, 62 years old. And what happened with my dad was the union shop, they did some union busting and then he lost his job and wow. had to switch to another steel mill so it's like after the 20 years he put in now he's back down to ground zero and from that he harbored a bunch of resentment you know and he, yeah. he hated it and i was like well that's definitely not the route that i want to go you know yeah. where my mom on the other side she worked as a nurse and she just quit her job and went into entrepreneurship and was making you know tons of money doing good things you know so it was like okay do i take the union side you know and go through this heartache you know or go the entrepreneurial route you know so i chose the entrepreneurial route but another key thing that you said mike was you know you you fall into that lull of paralysis analysis paralysis where you're looking at it and you're trying to decide should i do that should i do this and one thing that i've been studying up on just lately is making fast decisions, making hard, fast decisions, because mm -hmm. when you don't make a decision, that is a decision and yeah. it's prolonging your growth. I rather make the decision and fail and know that, okay, that was the wrong decision. Now I can go and make the right decision versus pondering all that time. Should I do it? Should I not do it? Should I do it? Should I not do it? So I heard that in your comment because, you know, that was some of the things that I struggled with. So I just wanted to kind of get in there and let people know, guys, you're listening, make the decision. No matter what the decision is, jump out there and do it. 
And if you end up making a mistake, guess what? We all make mistakes. You brush yourself back up, off and you get up and now make the right decision and go forward. So yep. now, Mike, jumping into real estate investing, you went through this whole analysis paralysis. Tell us about this first deal. Tell us how you got into it, what you did. Yeah. So the first deal, so the first house I ever had an accepted offer on, I, I was trying to finance it through a, a mortgage company and it was a small, local, tiny, you know, one location mortgage company. And I got the loan approved and I was waiting to get to closing. And this is 2008 now, right? A lot oh, yeah. of companies are struggling and the mortgage company went out of business and I lost the deal. Couldn't close on it. Couldn't get money together fast enough. And I lost it and mm -hmm. I was crushed. Um, but a couple of months later, I, I got another deal or another uh, offer accepted on a house one street away, same neighborhood, almost the same house. The difference is a couple months later, that house was half as much. So I, I got the house for half of the price that I was going to pay a few months earlier for another yeah. house, which means like blessing in disguise. I would have exactly. gotten burned on that first house because house prices were plummeting. They were going down fast at that time. So I got that first deal excited about it. It was, a, how did you find it, Mike? Was it? Yeah, I, I found it on the MLS, MLS. Okay. Yeah. Right. Back then people were, you know, they were just dumping houses and going, you know, bankrupt and foreclosing and all these things. So found it on the MLS. It's the only, that's the way I found houses, by the way, for about four and a half years, MLS. I didn't even okay. know about direct mail or doing any kind of marketing on my own. So I found that house on the MLS, <clears throat> brick ranch, three bedroom basement, very blue collar neighborhood, very stable, um, you know, neighborhood. It was good, good place. And, uh, we bought it with a mortgage. We still, we went with a mortgage. We just went with a bigger company and okay. the renovation was credit cards, whatever cash we had, just, you know, beg, borrow and borrow and steal to get, get the money together just to, to do that renovation. And we ended up making money, but you know, we learned so much along the way. Like we went in there and tried to do some of it ourselves, which okay. if you're scaling, if you're trying to do multiple deals and you're kind of trying to build a business, you know, painting and swinging a hammer, it's tough. It's tough to swing yep. a hammer and build a business, right? You have to pick and you don't want to be the person swinging the hammer necessarily if you're trying to build something. So, but we were in there swinging hammers and painting and trying to save money. All we did was get in the contractor's way and we slowed them down because we weren't doing it fast enough. Well, that's that blue collar mentality. You yeah. Know? <laughs> Just get yeah. in here and make it happen, yeah. you know, and that's, yeah, that's a lot like the things. Sounds like my dad and your dad were similar. I had my dad in my head going, why would you pay someone to paint a yep. basement? You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. you can paint a basement. So I, I exactly. started doing that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and the, the contractor I hired, I hired him for the wrong reasons. I, I, he seemed like a nice guy. He seemed like someone I could hang out with, like somebody I kind of liked personally. He seemed like a nice guy. That's mm -hmm. not why you hire contractors. You know, yep. you need to hire contractors, check their references, check their license, check their insurance. I didn't do any of that. And the guy came in, he did an okay job, but at the end of the day, he didn't pay the electrician and he was the general. My guy Ouch. was the general contractor, right? Subcontractor didn't get paid. So after I closed on the house and made, you know, I didn't, I closed, I'm sorry, I didn't close. I finished the project. I knew what my profit was going to be. I get a letter in the mail from the electric company, the electrician uh -huh. saying, Hey, we didn't get paid and we're putting a lien on your house. Uh, like, mechanics a lien. Lien, huh? Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't know about those. I didn't like, how can you put a lien? I did pay you, but I didn't pay them. I paid the general and the general didn't pay them. Oh. So once they explained that to me and said, sorry, I believe you paid him, but we didn't get paid. So we have to put a, a, a lien on your property. So I had to negotiate what I owed them down a little bit and get them paid. So I double paid for the electric work, but it was a lesson I learned. And at the end of the yep. day, 
on a $40,000 house, I ended up making $15,000 in profit, right? So don't feel bad for me, but I definitely made mistakes that I, that I learned from and, and moving forward, I got a little smarter. I, I didn't have a contract with my general contractor. Mm -hmm. So I, I created a new contract so that we're all on the same page and he's agreeing to certain things. And you know, there's a little better expectations. Every, you should always have paperwork when you're yep. dealing with someone yep. in large numbers like that. So I didn't do that at first. Well, that's the key of, you know, jumping in and making that mistake on the second one, you knew, okay, I need to have these contracts. I need to have these things in place in order to make sure I don't get burned and then have to, you know, deal with a mechanics lien on the back end. So yep. during that time, prior to you getting that deal, I know you said that you were on the computer, you were learning about real estate. Who did you follow or what site did you follow? What were you following it to, to get this education? So I, there were local RIAs. I just went to my local RIA. Okay. Um, there's a, there was a conference that was held in my, in my market. It was put on by a woman named Wendy Patton. She's been around forever. Okay. She's like a lease option person, but she would call in some national, like kind of guru type people to talk. And I, I honestly can't remember all of them, but there was one guy that was sort of like this national guy. He would just go around the circuit and, and, talk mm -hmm. honestly to I don't know at this point if he actually was doing real estate anymore if he was just talking but <laughs> gotcha. but but I, I really liked him and he made sense to me his name was Chris Kirshner I don't even know if he's still doing real estate we're talking 17 years ago is when okay. I saw this guy but I liked him a lot and he really kind of helped me understand some of the basics and that that's who I followed and then there was a local guy that was really really good um and I he had a small mastermind locally it was very cheap um his name was Mark Islaw and just a, just a smart guy, you know, just the, the kind of people that get put in your life that kind of just push you to the next push step. You you know? yep. I don't think he could help me much anymore, but like he kind of where I was in, in that time, he helped me get to the next point. And, and that's, that's key. And that's something yeah. Mike that, that we all need, you know, you get to a, to a point where, okay, at the beginning, okay, this is what I need in order to move to the yeah. next step. And then you get to that next step. Then it's like, okay, now I need somebody to push me along further. And that's what we all need. And I know a lot of people, especially coming from that blue collar mentality, you know, it's, hey, you call a plumber out one time, you stand over his shoulder, you watch what he do. That way you don't never have to call him again. Yeah. And that's the way some people take as an aspect to real estate is, hey, I'm going to go on YouTube. I'm going to learn all I can. And then I'll get out here and I'll do it myself. And they find themselves making tons of mistakes. So yeah. I'm a strong advocate for people getting a mentor, you know, finding someone that they can call upon in order to help them because you're going to run into situations that you can't just find on YouTube or that you can't just find on bigger pockets or something like that. You know, you got to have somebody that you can call on and say, Hey, help me out with this situation. We all have those people, you know, you're yep. doing tons of deals. I'm doing tons of deals, but I guarantee you, if I get to a spot where I don't know, I can pick up the phone and I can call somebody. I can call my broker. I can call yeah. my mentor or someone like that. So totally. tell me, tell me, Mike. Um, so you did that, that property kind of, what was the numbers? I know you said it was $40,000. Was that the yeah. acquisition? How much was the rehab? Yep. $40,000 was the acquisition. The rehab was $15,000. We sold it for, I think, 75. And once all the, the dust settled, we made $15,000 on it. Okay. So at the time in 2008, pretty straightforward deal. You know, that, that same house, by the way, now would probably cost 
$30,000, like yep. the same, the, the same house. Right. But at the time it was just, everything was cheaper. It was a lower barrier to entry, but those were the, the basic numbers. Um, just that it was a real, it was a real, like what, what you call like a carpet paint, you know, kind of a mm-hmm. rehab. It really wasn't it. We pulled out cabinets, but that was it. Like it was straightforward as it gets. So we got lucky. We had a pretty easy one, even though I made mistakes, I made money. So, you know, that's how real estate can be though. You can make mistakes and still make money if you're real careful about your, your buy price and you yep. know what your sell price is. And so I made, I've made, you know, the biggest mistake I think people make when they're starting out is they they get real optimistic about what it'll sell for and they way underestimate what renovation is going to be, right? Because mm-hmm. they're trying to put a deal together. They're trying yep. to make it happen. And they look at this crazy like comp <clears throat> that isn't really a great comp and it's it's the outlier. Yep. And then they just start talking themselves into what they don't have to do on the rehab. And next thing you know, you got a house that never will sell for what you thought and you didn't do enough to it to make it worth what it could sell for. And it's an ugly situation, but that's what people do when they're trying to make something work. And then you just can't do that. Yeah. Trying to make the deal fit. Um, I kind of went through that, got burned in doing that. And I learned from that mistake. So again, guys, there's another one. You, you learn from those mistakes. Don't yep. try and make a deal work. You know, look at those comps, look at those comparables. Don't pick the highest, you know, just get an average of three or four of them and then say, okay, well, if you have one at 200, one at 185, one at 190, but then you have this outlier at 225, hey, there's something going on with that one that's at 225. You know, you have to use that, you know, 187, 185 base price and and run your numbers from there to be a little little bit more conservative. So, uh, Mike, let's discuss your evolution. So you did that deal. What was next after that? Because I know you went into wholesaling and, and was still doing some flips. What was your evolution like? Yeah. So I, I was a house flipper for about five and a half, six years. I didn't even know what wholesaling was. So after that first deal, uh, I did, my wife and I were, were kind of partners on this. We were both working full time, by the way, but I would like, I would find the properties. I would get the contractors. I would you know, work with them, negotiate prices and hold them accountable. And I would get it sold. And my wife handled all the, everything else, like getting insurance, getting the utilities turned on and off, going to closings, all the stuff that I hate, she's really good at. So it was a good partnership. So after that first one, we made money. My wife's super conservative too. And I'm, I'm not, I'm, I I have no fear of spending money. So we did that first one (laughs) and she was like, she's conservative, but she's not stupid. She saw what we made and knew that we didn't even know what we were doing. And she's like, let's go, let's do this. So uh, I started looking for my next deal immediately. And, and at first we were doing, we find a deal, we'd renovate it, we'd sell it, we'd look for another deal, right? Yep. But that's a slow, that's a slow burn slow and, and I'm impatient. So next thing you know, I'm making multiple offers on multiple houses and we're getting multiple things accepted. And, you know, we started going down that road and, and eventually, you know, the, it, it, there's ups and downs. Like things happen when you're, when you're in real estate, right? There are mistakes that are made and there's contractors who kind of flake out and deals go wrong and, and all these things happen. And the roller coaster of that early years just got to be too much. And she's like, you know what? My wife, she's like, you're good. You know what you're doing. I trust you. You don't need me really. Mm-hmm. I can't, I can't sleep sometimes. <laughs> like it's, this is making me nervous. So she goes, just do your thing. You don't, don't share the details. I'm happy for you. Like I'll support you, but I don't want to be involved. And honestly, once that happened, that's when things started to go fast for me because okay. she was the one saying, quit making offers. Don't make any more. Like we can't yeah, handle slow down. And I was always like pushing on the gas. Right. So she, she backed out of uh, the, the, the situation and said, I, I'm just going to kind of, she's a school teacher. She's like, I'm just going to teach. 
you do yeah. real estate and we're good. And man, things took off. I was making offers like a crazy man and getting things accepted. I was building my team. I was raising money. It was going great. Um, but the mistake that I made and, and the, the foundation that I had was, was shaky because I had one, one crew, one general contractor who had his subcontractors, right? Not the first guy is different than the first house. I found another guy and he was doing good for me. And I had a realtor and the realtor was in charge of finding deals and giving me my ARV, telling me what it'll sell for. And I totally relied on him. Didn't double check him. Didn't learn how to do it. I just let him do his thing. So we got to a deal uh, that I had bought. I think I bought this house for 75. No, I bought it for 65,000. I was going to put 40 into it and it was supposed to sell for 145. And the, the realtor, by the way, it was in his neighborhood. Like he lived in the neighborhood. He's like, I know it will sell for 145. I shouldn't be able to get that wrong. No, like he's, <laughs> he, this should be like gold. It should be solid. And I brought my contractor in. He quoted it like typical deal. Like it looked like it was going to go like every other deal. Somewhere in the middle of the, of the process, my contractor started kind of acting strange. He was giving me receipts for stuff he didn't do. He was not mm. showing up on the job. And anyone who's hired contractors and done flips, you, you know what I'm talking about. You, yep, you have this yep. contractor that seems great, that you do four, five, six, seven, eight deals with them. Everything's fine. Somewhere on that ninth or tenth deal, sometimes they just start flaking out. Now, who knows? He might have had personal problems. He might have had money problems. I don't know. He went sideways on me. And so I knew when the job was done, I could not continue to use him because he was being unethical. And then at the same time, when I put it on the market, it was crickets. We were getting nothing, no offers, nobody looking at it. And, and I went back and asked somebody else to do the numbers for me, like double check the numbers because I still didn't know how to do it, believe it or not. And they're like, man, this is way overpriced. Like you, there's no way, there's no comp that supports what you're doing here. Wow. And, and so I ended up breaking even on this deal where I should have made twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000. I ended up breaking even. So I was like, my, and my, and my realtor didn't apologize. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't feeling bad. He, he basically said, Hey man, it happens. It happens, whatever. <laughs> and I was like, no, 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 no. So that's, just, that's your one job is to tell me what things I'll sell for. Yes. And this is in your neighborhood, by the way. You should know what prices are in your neighborhood. So I knew I was probably going to have to figure out ARVs and, and find somebody else to help me in that side of it uh, and a new contracting crew. But at the same time, I still had opportunities coming to me and deals that I could sign. And I'm not someone who doesn't sign a contract when I know that I can make it's money deal, on it, right? Yeah. I'll fi- I, I always had the impression, like, I'll figure it out. Like, I will figure yeah. out what to do. I'm not going to burn anybody, but I will figure it out. So I, I got a deal under contract, and I had no crew, and I had no realtor, and I didn't know what I was going to do. So I called a friend of mine who was a, a, a house flipper, and I, I knew he needed deals. I knew he was struggling to find opportunities. And I so told Mike, him what it was. Mike, real quick, before yeah. you go into that, I just wanted to cut in here. So that, that's the power of one. And this is what mm-hmm. I try and tell people is the worst number in business is one because you hinge everything on that one contractor, that one realtor to run those numbers. And when they flake out, now you're back to ground zero, you know, and so be it. You know, you had that contractor, you guys were doing, you know, multiple deals, getting things done. But you do come to that point where they start becoming more complacent. They're like, okay, well, I know Mike, you know, he's going to, you know, allow this. We'll do still continue to do more deals. And on the other side, you're like, okay, I got to find somebody else. You know, this guy is not doing everything right. But at the same time, I need him to finish this project, you know, so guys, just remember that power of one, that's the worst number in business. You know, you always want to try and have someone or something 
on the back burner. So if you have one contractor, you still want to network and find other contractors and say, hey, you know what? I got a guy right now that's pretty solid, but we're looking for somebody else on our team. You know, you start betting those guys. That way, if a project do start to start to slip or a contractor do start to drop the ball, you can pick it up with somebody else. So I just wanted to kind of jump in there real quick and uh, make that statement known. So go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's that's good. And I'll get, the reason I'm telling the story is it is my evolution. It's where things turn for me, but I will say the power of one, absolutely right. Take, take the lead from, from sports teams, right? Baseball teams have farm teams. They have farm teams for a reason. Uh, Football teams have practice squads. They have it for a reason. You need people on the bench that you can go to when things aren't going well with your, with your A player. So I totally agree with you. That's a bad number one. So in this deal, I, so I, I said I had this buddy who's a house flipper. He needed deals. Presented the offer to him. I bought the house for 95000 or I had it under contract for 95000 Okay. I said, I'll sell it to you for one ten, And he did his numbers, came right back to me 10 minutes later. He's like, I'll take it. I was like, man, I just made $15,000 like yep. in an hour. Like that was awesome. So the next deal that came called the same guy, did the exact same thing. He's like, I'll take it. I was like, whoa, this is awesome. So instead of finding a new crew and a new, and a new realtor, I just, I switched my model. I started wholesaling from that point forward. And, and I still do flips here and there, but I mean, if I do a hundred deals, 96 of them will be wholesale deals and four yep. of them will be flips in a year. Like that's kind of my numbers. So um, yeah, mostly wholesaling. And that's why I switched. That's that it was just like a fork in the road. I had to either build my team back up and go back to flipping or keep doing this wholesaling thing, which I loved. I loved yeah. it when I did it. It's, I like the speed. I like that velocity. Yep. And, I, and that's, that's kind of one of the things that I tell people is, and I wrote a, I actually, I wrote a blog on bigger pockets and I, I caught a lot of flack about it. You know, I was saying, Hey, I would rather wholesale versus flip all day. I said, yeah, you may, you may flip and make, $45,000, but I can wholesale the same property and make $40,000 without the headache of dealing with contractors, hoping that I put it on an MLS and it sales plus mm-hmm. carrying costs and all of that kind of stuff. Yep. You know, so I said, Hey, take the easy way out. You know, sometimes if you have to skim a little bit and you don't make that extra five grand, so be it, make the 40, move on to the next deal. You know, cause by the time you do that flip, you're holding that property three, four five months wholesaling, you could have done six deals in that time, you know, so guys, just listen, you know, I know flipping is very attractive, you know, you see it on HGTV and everything like that, but sometimes when you run the numbers, you can make the same amount of money on a property wholesaling it as you would flipping it, so go ahead, Mike. So I, I totally agree, man. And, that, and that's why I switched. I, I, I like wholesaling better. I can't believe you caught crap for that on bigger pockets. I know they can be kind of, that community can be a little, uh, a little aggressive if they don't agree with you, but yeah, I'm with yeah. you. I did flipping for six years. I know what it is. I know what it's like. I know what I don't like about it. And there's a lot you can't control. And I, I just, even if the numbers, listen, in my market, 20,000, 25,000 is a, is a base hit kind of a flip, right? It's mm-hmm. nothing to write home about, but it's, it's good. It's good numbers. So even if I can make, 15, right? Yep. But I can make that 15 four times by the time you flip that deal easily, yep. right? Exactly. So at the end of the year, I'm going to do much better wholesaling than I would than I would flipping. And I got more, I have more control over the process. Yeah. And you start flipping, you know, I, I know for me, especially at the end, right before everything kind of went south on my flipping with my team, I had a couple of incidents where an appraiser came out and just 
destroyed my profits. I mean, appraisers, yes. God bless them, man, but they can just take money out of your pocket like a, like a criminal. Like, so I, I had appraisers really burn me on a couple of deals and, and there's nothing you can do. Like there's no, there's yeah. not much higher authority you can go to. So yeah, I, I liked getting myself out of that. And there's nothing wrong with flipping houses. It's awesome. Yeah. I know people do it and they're very successful. It's just, I like wholesaling better. Well, I got a quick, quick uh, comment about appraisers. It's funny that you talk about this because I was flipping a deal to a, to an investor last month. So during this coronavirus, everything like that, we were still doing deals and we had this property done the ARV. I know the area, you know, like the back of my hand, I know the numbers and the appraiser came in and lowballed the appraiser by appraisal by like 50 grand. Yeah. So I said, dude, you better talk to that appraiser. I said, because those numbers are not right. And lo and behold, it was the lender because of everything with the coronavirus, the lenders were scaling back and being more conservative. So they was making the appraisers be more conservative. So yeah. he missed out on a deal that could have netted him 50K at the end of the day. We ended up wholesaling it to another guy and uh, he's in there doing the work right now. And he said, yeah, those numbers are pretty solid. But like you said, those appraisers can really tear a deal up on the front end when you're trying to get financing and on the back end when you're trying to sell. So like you said, you know, with flipping, you have less control, you know, versus, yeah. versus wholesaling. So okay. now you're, now you're doing this wholesaling. Now you're trying to scale up. What, what's going on with you scaling up, Mike? Yeah. So the number one thing for me to scale up, and this is really the basis of the book that I wrote, because it's all about, to me, it's all about not just scaling for the sake of scaling, but scaling without creating a nightmare business for yourself. And you can get big and have this monster of a business where you're running around and you don't like the people working with, like you can make a, a mess of a scaling business. But for me, the two things that helped me scale effectively was hiring the right people, bringing people on my team and creating processes and systems. Because prior to that, I, I got a new deal under contract and started flipping it. I, I would go to Home Depot and pick out all new cabinets, all new, like I, I had no process. Like every uh -huh. time I did, it was like the first time I had ever done it before. I, I wasn't repeating anything to make it a little more efficient. Um, so, you know, do it, creating processes and systems is absolutely where it's at. And then, you know, people don't want to hire because I, I had this thought when I was kind of trying to start scaling is, I need to bring people on because I know I can't do it all myself anymore, but I'm not big enough to bring people in. Like I don't have a big enough operation, but I can't get a big enough operation unless I bring people, bring in. people in. It's like this circular logic that doesn't work. So what I had to learn how to bring people in, in a way that I could do it. And I know everyone can't just carry a payroll. I get that, but there's creative ways to bring people on your team. There's, there's commit. Like, for example, I looked at my situation and there was, there was a bottleneck in a couple of areas. The first bottleneck was, like answering phones. I don't like answering the marketing calls. Like I'm just not good at it. And I, I, okay. I procrastinate. So I hired someone to answer phones for me. Well, once I had hired someone to answer phones, I wasn't afraid to turn the marketing up because I knew I didn't have to answer the phone. Somebody else who was yep, better yep. at it than me, by the way, is going to do it. And then I realized, okay, now we're getting more leads, more opportunities. I'm not the best sales guy in the world. I'm okay. It's my business. So I go out there and do what I have to do, but I'm not the best sales guy in the world. Yep. So I found someone who had a full-time sales job. It was outside sales. Like he was on the road locally all day long. He was great at what he did. He had free time during the day. And he's like, I could go on appointments for you during the day, like one or two during the day and still do my job. Great. Mm -hmm. 
And, and so I hired him, paid him commission. I only paid him when I closed on a deal. Yep, so there was yep. no salary really. And he was still crushing at his day job and it worked great. He eventually quit his day job and came aboard, aboard full time. But that, that's how I started. It wasn't crazy salaries. And the person answering the phone could be a VA, you know, yeah. could be a VA overseas or you're paying them $4 an hour to answer your phones. And it just isn't, it's, it doesn't cost as much as people think that it does to get started. And the minute you, re, you free yourself up of one responsibility, you open up the opportunities to work on finding better deals, raising money, whatever it is you need to do as an owner, you can focus on that and not do the stuff that you can pay someone $4 an hour to do or pay someone commission to do for you. Yeah. And that go, and again, it goes back to that power of one. When you was just getting started, it was just you, you yep. know, you were answering the phones, going on seller appointments, trying to find buyers, doing disposition, you know, signing contracts, meeting yep. with the title company, all of that kind of stuff. And what we're saying is, yeah, you have to start that way, you know, but once you get to a point where you want to scale, you have to do it effectively and efficiently. And that's what you did. You found the right people that can fit into those yeah. boxes that can do it better than you could, you know, so that really helped expand your business. So Mike, real quick, we're going to take a brief break. We're going to hear a word from our sponsors and then we're going to come right back. PropString is the industry's number one tool for locating distressed properties and connecting with highly motivated sellers with 100% coverage across the U.S. PropString provides a deep dive into any property's specific details, making it easy to generate lists of distressed properties and contact to the owners. No other product or service can compare. Gain access to MLS property details like expired listings. You can pull accurate comps, even sale prices in non-disclosure states. This information is typically reserved for licensed real estate professionals, but is also available to you in PropStream. Gain access to unlimited nationwide property search, comparable home sales, targeted marketing lists, and owner contact lookup, built-in marketing tools, hundreds of filters to search and sort leads. Start your free seven-day trial now by going to proud.propstreampro.com slash we love all right, Mike, we are back. So tell me now you're taking another evolution. So tell me about seven figure flipping, how you got into that and how that really helped expand and explode your business. Yeah, it, it was it was the thing that expanded and exploded my business. I got into seven figure flipping back in the beginning of 2016 was our first meeting. I think I signed, I joined at the end of 15, started in 16 actually with a with meeting with the group. And it was a small group at the time. But the key to it was there were people in there that were farther down the road of success than I was. They they had been where I am and gotten past it and had success and built their business and scaled their business and hired a team and did all these things. And so I got a chance to sit down with folks like that, that were like three, four years ahead of where I was in their journey and, and just ask them like you were where I am three, three, four years ago. What did you do from the point where I am to where you are? How did you get there? What were the steps you took and what were the mistakes you made, which is really important. I mean, Marcus, if I could tell you that you could go back to your younger self and I, and you would know everything you know now, like how much, further, better, like how many mistakes would you have avoided? Like, of course, everyone, it's yep, hindsight. Yep. Everyone says hindsight's twenty twenty. Well, when you join a mastermind, the right mastermind, and you surround yourself with the right people, like I did, you get twenty twenty hindsight in real time. So he was telling me, like, this is what I did, exactly what I did to, to get where I am. And these are all the mistakes I made. And I applied those mistakes and I, by not doing them, and I applied the lessons of things that worked for him. 
And I was able to take my business, what took him three or four years to just do it on his own organically and figure it out without any help. I applied all that teaching and I, I got to where he was within a year. Like I accelerated my business and did it. And that's why people ask me all the time, how did you explode? What was the explosion? What was the, what was the aha moment? What did you find that, that we don't know or that you didn't know that allowed you to do that? And so that's why I wrote my book, Level Jumping, because I answer that question. And, and believe it or not, when you're trying to, to scale responsibly and profitably, you don't know what you don't know. So it's hard to ask all the right questions because you don't even know what to ask, right? Yep. So I try to tell people the things that they don't even know to ask is what I'm trying to help them with. And it's not, you know, which CRM do you use or which mail house do you send your mail pieces? Like that, that's, those are tools and those are great and that's part of it. But those change year yeah. to year. Those can change what, what the software that works and makes sense. But the principles that I'm talking about, so, uh, the things that actually moved the needle and made a difference in my business, those don't change as often. And, and, and that's what I try to share with people so they can grow and, and, and experience that as well. So tell us, you went from how many deals prior to seven figure flipping to where you are now? How many, what are, what's your numbers? What are you doing? Um, so people can understand the, the power of having that person, that, that mentor, that, that yeah. coach or someone with you. Yeah. So when I joined seven figure flipping, I was doing about two deals a month, sometimes three on a good month. I was doing two to three, which is fine. It's good. Yep. Um, after joining after a year, I was at the 10 to 12 range. So Sweet. I, about three times the, the amount of deals, three to four times the amount of deals, uh, by joining. And, you know, so people say, is it worth it? Does it make sense? I don't know. You, you ask me, I went from, I had a, I was at a, about a $200,000 pace when I joined the program mm -hmm. and I made over a million dollars in profits after one year being in it. You tell me what it's worth, you know, and that, that profit margin, that those sales and that, that business that's year after year after year since then too. Right. So, um, for me, it made all the difference because, you know, I, I mentioned to you earlier, I think it was before we were, we were live it was like I was standing and looking as far as I could look. And once I got into the program, once I got into seven figure flipping, it's like I was standing on people's shoulders. I was standing on high rise buildings and I could see so much farther and it made so much more sense. And usually when you get around people like that, you, you get inspired and it's, it's, yep. it's, uh, it's motivating and you know, motivation plays a part of it, but it's lonely sometimes doing what we do. I mean, you, you had a mom who was an entrepreneur, but nobody in my family was an entrepreneur and my brothers, my family, a cousins, mm -hmm. nobody. Matter of fact, I didn't, when I quit my job, it took me, I think three and a half, four years to quit my job and go full-time in real estate. And at the time I was making way more in real estate than I was at my job. I held on to my job probably longer <laughs> than I should have. And I yeah. took my parents out to dinner when I decided to leave my job. And by the way, I had banked a couple of years worth of salary. Like it was crazy easy to do. But I took my parents out and my dad, after telling him what I was going to do, explaining what I had done and where we are, his, his reaction, his response was, you're making a mistake. Like he couldn't let go of that yeah. union blue collar attitude. And he's like, you need, you need the security of a, of a, of a company to give mm -hmm. you a paycheck. And I was like, man, okay. I mean, it's that mind, mindset, it's that mindset, know? right? So I, I, it's lonely. So sometimes being in a mastermind, if nothing else, you're surrounding yourself with people that are motivated and doing what you're trying to do, but there's people like you. It's like you find people who finally get what you're doing and they understand what your struggles are. And I mean, that can be a lot of it. There's accountability in there too, right? Yeah. Like you can, you can say you're going to do something in your own head and if nobody else knows. If you don't do it, you're the only one who knows, right? Yeah. Yeah. You get in a mastermind, 
people start holding you accountable and saying, Hey, Marcus, you said you were going to, you know, you were going to buy five more rentals this month. How'd you do? Did you do it? It's there's something to that, you know, that accountability. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that's, that's plays a major part and is, and is a major key, you know, to people's success. And that's one thing that people don't understand. You look at any professional, every professional has a coach, football yeah. teams, basketball, baseball, doctors, lawyers, everyone has a coach, someone that they can go to. And that's, that's one of the things that I try and tell people is you don't have to go out and pay 40, 50, $60,000. Start where you're at. If you can't afford that, start where you're at, you know, start with somebody that's in your local market and say, Hey, let me bird dog for you. That's, that's coaching, you know, in the beginning, but then as you go up, you have to scale up and you have to hold yourself more accountable and, play a bigger game you know so yep. tell yep. me mike um with doing your wholesaling without giving away your secret sauce or anything like that what is the marketing channels that are really working for you right now man i i don't think there is secret sauce i'll tell you everything i do um i won't hold back at all so traditionally over the last five years direct mail has been the number one source of deals for us okay. since the the coronavirus uh, our direct mail took a hit um i think in Michigan, at least, I don't know about where you, where you are and how it affected people, but mm-hmm. I, I, I think people were got, there was a point where they were afraid to even touch their mail because they yep. didn't know what they yep. could touch. So I think direct mail took a hit for that reason. Now, we also use uh, pay-per-click, Google AdWords. P- pay-per-click leads have surpassed our direct mail. And we, we scaled back our direct mail quite a bit too because okay. it just wasn't performing. And by the way, part of scaling is knowing your numbers, watching your, your metrics and your KPIs. So mm-hmm. uh, I knew what was working, what wasn't working. So we leaned into PPC a little bit more. And also because I know people are sitting around, they're on their phones more, you know, at home with a lot more downtime. We really ramped up our text messaging campaigns and our ringless yep. voicemail campaigns. Yep. And, and those have been going great. And we actually started a new cold call uh, part of our mail of our marketing that we didn't have before so we're, we're leaning hard into like text ringless pay-per-click and we scaled back our direct mail for the time being okay. <clears throat> so that's that's what's working for, and, and by the way pay-per-click is the most highest ROI most deals right now that we're getting is coming through pay-per-click okay and I can attest to that because um, we virtual wholesale and we saw our direct mail take a big hit it's like it mm-hmm. just absolutely stopped and we were doing things in Chicago, which is neighbors to uh, Michigan. Yep. Direct mail was going good. You know, here in Phoenix, direct mail wasn't so good because, you know, so many people out here were doing it. But in Chicago, it's like, okay, let's focus on the direct mail. And then it come, you know, March just stopped. Phones yep. just stopped ringing. Everything went silent. Yep. And we had to pivot like you guys did. And we went to uh, to the text messaging. So that started working for us and we're looking like we're like okay well it's cheaper to do the text messaging you get a how higher volume of calls yeah sometimes the leads may not be as good but once you funnel through them you still make money and you have a higher ROI so just wanted to ask you about that pivot you know when it came to coronavirus because that's some of the things that we had to do so how are you guys navigating um, because I know some of the people are going through this. How are you navigating seller appointments, you know, due to coronavirus? Yeah, so we we do buy houses that are vacant. So in that case, it's pretty easy. You know, yeah. the person could come and let us in and we can walk through the house and do what we have to do. Um, but we're we're getting better and we're really trying to sharpen our skills at closing over the phone, which is something 
I told you I hired a sales guy a while back. Uh, he's still with me. He's actually, I partnered with him, but he's really, really good. And I have always resisted closing over the phone. Now, I know virtual wholesaling. I'm sure you do no, that. No, no. Maybe you don't, but that's a lot of virtual yeah, people do. do that. I was always against it because I thought, wait a minute. I've got, the, I've got what I think is the best salesperson in my market. Why would I not have them face-to-face? Because I know he's a killer when he's on, on an appointment. So mm-hmm. I always fought it. Now with the coronavirus, we don't really have a choice. So we started closing more of the phone. And one thing that you can think about, if anybody out there is like, feels the same way, like I, I think I'm better in person, that may be true, but you got to consider drive time, the time that you're in their home. Like if you can make three offers a day going to physical appointments, you can probably make 10 offers a day over the phone, right? Yep. So maybe those aren't the exact numbers for everybody. But the point is you can make so many more offers, which means you should get more accepted. Even if the, even if the uh, success rate's lower over the phone, which it's debatable, maybe it yeah. is, maybe it isn't, you're, the volume is so much higher. You can do m- many more offers. So at the end of the day, you should be able to do more deals over the phone. So I think we're going to probably stick with that in a lot of cases unless my sales guy gets the sense on the phone that he has to go there in person to take it down then he'll go in person but we're going to try to do more over the phone so what we do mike just to give you a little insight making that transition is uh when we talk to the sellers we offer them a range let's just say we'll say okay sight unseen without seeing your property we can offer you between Forty and $55,000. This mm-hmm. way we can gauge them to see if that's within their price range because you don't want to send someone out to the house if you know yeah. your offer is going to be around $45,000 and they want 90 for it. So yeah. we do we do that offer range and then if they say okay well that sounds reasonable you know either we close them over the phone or we have somebody we have one of our sales guys to go out and see them in person. So that's probably one thing that you guys can incorporate yep. is just offering that range. And some people say, well, that's a, you know, that's a mighty wide range. And we're like, well, because we haven't come out to see the house, we yeah. just want to make sure that we leave it enough cushion, you know, for any incidentals or anything like that. Sure. So yep. it's been working. It's, it works great. Yeah. Actually, I've been, me personally, I've been closing over the phone for years now and I, I prefer it. You know, it's, yeah. it's challenging and it, kind of raise that bar for your sales sales guys to say, Hey, you know what? Close this over the phone. See if you can do it. And, um, it works. It definitely works. The the range is a smart thing for sure, because it, it kind of puts our mind at ease, but the cool thing it does is it sort of anchors that low number. So as long as you come higher than that, they, they kind of feel like they won a little bit, right? They Mm -hmm. know where you might've been and you go in with 45 to to 55 and and they get 50. It's like, ah, I got one from 45, right? Yep. Yep. Smart. So it definitely, it definitely works. So Mike, um, we're going to go into our, to our fire round real quick, our hot seat. I'm going to put you on a hot seat and I want you to answer these questions as quick as possible. Uh, but again, you can elaborate if you want to. Okay, cool. Starting over, what would you do differently? What would I do differently? I know this is a fire round, so I'm trying to think what I do differently. Um, I would probably, if I could do it over again from where I was, I would start buying rentals sooner. It took, it took me a while to start my rental portfolio. Okay. How many, how many, uh, rentals are you holding now? 20. Okay. Perfect. And I, and I, I started in like 15. I would have started in 2008 because they were cheaper. Okay. Then. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then you wouldn't have to work so hard as hard on yeah. a transactional side because you have that rental income coming in. Yep. That's um, all. Yep. Okay. Outside of commodity, outside of 
I'm sorry. What is your greatest commodity outside of capital? Um, the, the, my people, my team, for sure. There's okay. no doubt about it. They're the reason why I, I grew and stay successful. And what is one thing that you can do to be more productive? Uh, one thing I can be more productive is to uh, <laughs> probably get up earlier. <laughs> gotcha. I'm not a morning guy. I sleep in a little bit. I work late, but I sleep in a little bit. I probably could get up earlier before everyone's up and do a little more and it'd be more productive. Okay. Well, I mean, you were, you were up this morning. You text me around eight o'clock your time, which was what, six o'clock my time. So I'm normally up four thirty, five o'clock. My wife says I'm a vampire, you know, but uh, I get quite a bit done in the morning. <laughs> I'll tell you what, here, I'll tell you a, a, a little dirty secret. That was my assistant. I didn't get up at eight o'clock. So oh. <laughs> I've, got a, I've got a team that helps me with some of those things. And, and I, I, I'm not good at details. Like that's the first thing I hired out of my business was details. Yeah. I would miss stuff. Like she has to make sure that I know what's going on when I wake up. So that was probably her actually. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Hey, outsource it. Outsource I, it. I need help, man. I need help. <laughs> So what is your, what do you believe is your greatest challenge, uh, internal or external? You know, we talked about that union, you know, that Midwest mentality, union mentality, and it's great. And I, I, I love that hardworking mentality, but I'll tell you what, probably the one thing that I fight against is, you know, I'm a kid of the eighties. There wasn't lots and lots of praise heaped on me when I was a kid. So yep. I still fight self-doubt, you know, like there was a lot of like, you know, you, you got put in your place a lot when I was a kid. I mean, yep. my dad was a Marine. We didn't talk about that, but you know, so there was a lot of like kids don't need to, you could be, need to be seen, not heard. I don't really care what you think. Like, you know, yep. there was a lot of putting me in my place. And I think sometimes that, that makes that get a little bit insecure. Like you, you feel like I'm not, I don't know if I can do this, you know? So it's just fighting self-doubt is probably yeah. my biggest problem. And, and, and Mike, it seems like we got so much in common because that's one of the things that I struggle with is self-doubt. My, my wife always tell me, she always say, you're good enough, man. You're great enough. Just get out there and do it. Because same way my dad, you know, he, he was a foreigner, you know. So when he came over to the country, it was like, you have all of this opportunity. How come you're not taking advantage of this opportunity? You know, and it was like he would just pound and pound and pound and pound to where, you know, I start having these self-limiting beliefs. But that's one of the things that I'm working on is, you know, having that self-confidence and jumping yeah. out there and taking that action. And that's why I, I talked about, you know, making those quick decisions earlier, because sometimes I hear I hear my dad, I hear Frank in my head saying, well, is that the right thing to do? Should you be doing this? Because he was he was the ultimate pessimist. You know, he yeah. always looked at the bad things first. You yep. know, my, well, my dad, too. Same yep, thing. Yep. Same what thing. if this happens? What if that happens? You know, and, and yep. that kind of stuck with me and it was ingrained in me. So I'm trying to change and make that switch. So no, it's funny it's that you bring that up. Man. Yeah. 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 So tell me, what is the latest business book or real estate book that you've read, you know, that you would like to share with, with the listeners? Um, probably the book that I read most recently that had the biggest impact. I listen to books usually before I read them. I, my, my system is I, I basically listen to it as an audible book or whatever. And if I like it a lot, I'll buy it. And that way I can okay. highlight and kind of keep it. But, um, I read a book, uh, recently traction by Gino Wickman. Oh, okay. That's yes. how I run my business. I run my business off the traction model, that EOS, that entrepreneurial operating system. Mm -hmm. It's just a good, clean, simple way to kind of structure your business and run meetings. And, and so we use that and that's really helped us be organized and kind of be on track. So that's, yeah. I like that one. 
and that book is great because it's talk, it talks about the momentum too. Once you got yeah. the momentum and it's going, okay, tell me, tell us about level up, man, your book. Tell us about, I know you, we touched on seven figure flipping. How can we get in touch with you? How can we get the book? How can yep. we be a part of seven figure flipping? Cool. Uh, if you well, seven figure flipping has a an event that's open to the public every year. We call it Flip Hacking Live. And if you go to fliphackinglive.com, you can see all the details. You can uh, buy tickets. It's three, four days of high level uh, real estate investors talking and not gurus, not people who just travel around and talk. Like these are guys that are in the trenches, people doing deals like at a high level, sharing everything. So that's Flip Hacking Live and Seven Figure Flipping. As far as my book, um, so I don't know if you use video, but it's called Level yep. Jumping and uh, you can find it on Amazon. Uh, you can go there, look for Level Jumping. It'll be there. Uh, for your audience though, if it's okay, I'd like to give them something too. Okay. Uh, if, they are, if they text the words, just start to the number 55444. So that's 55444. Text the words, just start, and I'll send you a free digital download of the book. So you can get it for free. Okay. There you go, guys. You got fliphackinglive.com, level jumping, you know, text just start to 55444, get yep. the digital download of the book so you can start consuming all of this great content from Mike. Mike, I appreciate you being on the show, man. Before we depart, before we part, what's one thing that you can leave with our listeners that can help them move along their journey a little bit further? So you, I think you mentioned early in the, in the podcast that I have a podcast too. It's called Just Start Real Estate. And the reason why I chose that name, I talked about my journey and my struggles for the first five years not doing anything. I was sitting on the sidelines. I was reading books. I was nervous, self-doubt, right? We just talked about that. All that yep. self-doubt was in there. And that's not unique to me and you. There's a lot of people out there that doubt themselves and they just, they're afraid to do it. What will their family think? What will their friends think? You know, all these, I listen to a lot of, a lot of leaders, a lot of like successful people. And at the end of their interviews and when they talk, almost invariably they would say, what's some advice you could give to somebody out there who wants to be successful? And they almost all of them said some version of just start. Yeah. And I think that's the thing, guys. Like you can't steer a parked car. You cannot. So you're right now a parked car. You can't change direction. You can't get any momentum because you're just sitting there in the driveway. You got to start moving and you got to start. So I say, get out there, learn enough to get going. And then once you get going, learn what you have to learn to get to that next step and just keep putting that education in front of you, laying those tracks and moving forward. You got you the first, it just starts with showing up, right? Half of winning is just showing up. There you got to show up. There it is, guys. You heard it from Mike. Take action, man. Just stop listening to so many podcasts and trying to debate and trying to analyze just start taking some action take one step at a time so if you want to start wholesaling start learning your market start there start picking up the phone talking to other wholesalers in your market if you want to flip start finding all you know other flippers you can easily find that go on zillow look at the houses that been rehabbed look down at the bottom it says the realtors who's listing the property contact that realtor say hey you know what interested in getting started. You know, I see you're, you're, you listed in this house from a flipper. It's so many easy things that you can yeah. do to get started. So guys, listen to what Mike and Mark is saying, just get out there and get started. So Mike, I really appreciate it, man. Guys, I'll have all of the information in the show notes, you know, 
fliphackinglive.com, Seven Figure Flipping, um, Just Start Podcast, Level Up Book. Mike got a lot of a lot of information out there for you. So get out there, go out there and get it. Mike, I really appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Not a problem. Equity family, remember to always enjoy the journey. All right, guys, that was Mike Simmons with Seven Figure Flipping. I'm sure and I know that you got a lot of content out of that from marketing strategies to mindset to mentorship and taking your real estate wholesaling business to the next level and pivoting from going backwards, doing something different, going from flipping to wholesaling versus going from wholesaling to flipping. So keep that in mind. Make sure you guys use this information. Have your notepad, jot down your notes, and uh, make sure you take massive action. Again, this is Marcus Maloney. Thank you, Equity Family. This is the We Love Equity Real Estate Show signing off. Remember to always enjoy the journey. Thank you for listening to today's show. I picked up some great actionable items and I'm sure you did as well. If so, let me know. You can always reach me via social media at facebook.com slash Maloney, Twitter at MRCS Maloney, and of course, IG at MRCS Maloney. You can also always reach me via email at mmaloney at equityri.com. Make sure you reach out to our guest as well. You can always find their contact information in the show notes below. If you have not subscribed already, what are you waiting for? Join the family. And while you're at it, leave us a five-star review. This is how we tell if we're providing you with what you need for your journey. If there's someone you would like for me to interview, or if there's a subject matter you would like for me to cover, please let me know. Finally, if you're looking for additional information about real estate investing, go to equityrealestateblog.com, also youtube.com slash Marcus Maloney. Until next time, family, always enjoy the journey.